Is that what to do? Now add the sting in there. Now I need to trim out these, this awkward silence. Oh, and of course, insert the subliminal messages of obedience to our new patron, Robin. I've got it. Jesus. Were you, were you there the entire time? Most of it, yes, but that's not important. I've figured out what we can do for a new segment. I, I, sorry, I thought we decided that last week. We'll be gathering feedback from our patrons, including new patron Robin. Praise be to Robin. What? What? Did you say that? Did I say what? Nothing, I think. Anyway, yes, we, we can do the other thing as well, but I've just had an amazing new idea. Look, you know how we look at philosophical papers on conspiracy theories sometimes? Obviously, yes. Praise be to Robin. Echo? That's weird. Anyway, you know how most of the people who write the papers we look at are people that you know? Of course. Where is this going? Well, what we could do is talk to the people who write the papers about the papers they write. Sort of a informal dialogue where we pose questions and react to the answers they give. Did, did you just describe an interview? Interview? Yes, praise be to Robin. Those things we already do all the time. Well, I say we. Circumstances have conspired to exclude you from pretty much all of them, praise be to Robin. But still, you must have some idea of what's been going on. Interview? Oh dear, it's all too much for you sometimes, isn't it? Look, I'm almost done editing my inter- uh, my talk with Joe. You... You go play with some coloured pieces of string or something, and it'll be all all okay. Praise be to Robin. Hail Robin, who keeps saying that? I'll never tell. The Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, brought to you today by Josh Edison and Dr. M. Denton. We are joined once again by Joe Usinski, who I think now holds the honour or possibly dishonour of being our most frequent guest expert on this podcast. Joe, as long-time listeners of the show will know, is a professor of political science at the University of Miami, and when it comes to polling and understanding polling about conspiracy theory and the prevalence thereof, is the expert to appeal to. He, along with Adam Enders, Casey Klostard, Michelle Seelig, Hugo Droken, Kamal Pri Maranal, and Manoa Murti, have published a new paper, Have Beliefs in Conspiracy Theories Increased Over Time, which we're going to discuss on this week's episode. Hello, Joe. It's great to be back. I want to just say, um, because of the nice introduction you gave me, I think that you've been interviewing me. Um, at every level of my career. So I, I think you got me when I was a junior professor, associate professor, and now full professor. So um, you have the distinction, just like I have the distinction of being on your podcast so many times, I think you have the distinction of being one of the only people who sort of stuck with me seemingly forever. So, so you get a medal too. <laughs> so what you're saying is that the next interview is when you're going to be former and now disgraced professor of political science. It could be emeritus or it could be disgraced or former or something like that. <laughs> yes, we'll be keeping a keen eye on exactly where your career is go- going to go. Okay, so Joe, can you sum up the conclusion to have beliefs in conspiracy theories increased over, over time in one word? No. 
So you you can't, or they haven't? Well, they haven't. And, well, you only gave me one word. So. <laughs> Here's the thing. Some conspiracy theories are increasing in terms of the number of people who believe them. Some are staying the same. Some are going down. There's no systematic increase um, in terms of, oh, my God, everyone's believing conspiracy theories now more than they ever did at some point in the past. There's no evidence to suggest that's the case. I mean, the, the, the most simple response I give to people when they ask me this, like, oh, my God, don't you think conspiracy theories are worse now than they've ever been? And my retort is worse than the Red Scare, worse than when we were killing people for supposedly conspiring with Satan and drowning them as witches? Is it worse than that? And they start to think, well, maybe not, right? So I, I think the important thing is that if you, if, if you go through the media headlines, you see all sorts of claims like it's the golden age of conspiracy theories now, or it's now more than ever. Well, I mean, those are very bold claims. They're usually made without any evidence. And I think one thing that has to happen is the people who are making those claims have to be more specific about what exactly they're claiming. Because it could be true that our congressional and presidential candidates are engaging in this in this sort of uh, uh, rhetoric more. Fine. If that's true, show it, you know, gather some data, show this over time. And if you can show it, then so be it. Um, but if we're talking about the public and what they believe, it's, it's just not the case that they are wholesale buying into every conspiracy theory that they buy into, that they happen to be see or that's out there somewhere. So how did you go about coming to this conclu conclusion? So what, what, what were the mechanisms you used to generate this result? So we have a, a couple of studies in the paper. And the first one is that we went back to uh, first the Roper survey archive. So we, got, we went through the archive of all these polls that have been taken in the last 70 years. And we found all the ones that had to do with a conspiracy theory and were asked of a national American sample. And then we went through the recent literature and said, what have recent, uh, what have scholars been polling on recently? So we got all of these together into about 50 some odd conspiracy theories that have been polled sometime in the past. And then we went and repolled all of them with a sample that was similar to whatever that sample was. So whether it was the national public or just registered voters or something like that. And we used the exact question wordings that had been used previously. And what we found was uh, most of the, or, or instead of saying most, I'll say the plurality of conspiracy theories seemed to be about level over time. Um, this is because a lot of them, you know, were polled within seven months of each other or a few years or maybe a decade. There were a handful that were higher than they had been in our uh, in the past, and there were um, quite a few that had gone down. In fact, there were more that had gone down than had gone up. So when people say people are believing these theories more, there's just not 
evidence that that's the case in terms of the individual theories, right? So if the idea is that a conspiracy theory gets on social media, which is what a lot of people argue now, and then spreads everywhere and everyone sees it and everyone believes it, well, that doesn't seem to be happening. And my favorite example of this is with our uh, COVID conspiracy theories. Because right in early March of 2020, we put a, a couple COVID conspiracy theories on a national survey we had here in the U.S. And this was maybe the third week of March 2020, when it was just starting. So we got in at the very beginning, before everything really fell apart. And then we repolled in June of 2020, October 2020, and then May of 2021. We don't find any increases. Right. And then we started pulling more items as there were more conspiracy theories developing that we were reading about. We started pulling on those in June of 2020. And over the course of the year following, we didn't find very much in the way of increases. So what it sort of comes down to is that people were either going to believe it or they weren't. Right. And it, it they're it seems to be that a lot of people are saying there's some mechanism out there, usually social media that's spreading it and making people be believe it because, you know, conspiracy theories are so tantalizing that if you're just exposed, all of a sudden you're going to believe it. We just don't find that. Right. And, and I think the most important thing, is that conspiracy theories spread just fine long before the internet. And Kennedy makes a great example of this. In 1963, the president was shot, and then the first poll was done nationwide just a few weeks after that, and 55-0% of Americans believed it was a conspiracy rather than a lone gunman. By 1975, this had increased to 80%. It's only come down to just a few points above where it started during the Internet age. So we got it at 56 percent on our 2021 poll. So the interesting point here is that you don't need the Internet or social media for conspiracy theories to get big. And you don't you don't need um, these communication technologies for things to spread in order for people to buy it, right? I mean, I, I, I think that a lot of people think of conspiracy theories as sort of a top-down phenomenon where people see it on TV or hear it from the politician, read it in the newspaper or get a book or something. And sure, those can have an effect, but people are generally opting into those things. I think what we have to understand more is the bottom-up process. I think a lot of people can see a president get shot and just immediately jump to probably a conspiracy, right? People can see something and say, I think there was a conspiracy behind it, right? So I don't think anyone needs to be told. I mean, certainly that matters. I mean, if the president of the United States, who you trust, tells you that there's a conspiracy going on, you're probably going to believe it. But I don't think that's necessary in order for you to buy into a particular conspiracy theory. So, so the point that I, I want to make here is that yeah, it seems like conspiracy theories are believed now. They've been believed in the past. There isn't strong evidence that they're believed more now than in the past. Um, 
but as much as we want to blame new things for what we think is a new problem, we have to understand there isn't really a new problem. It's an old problem if we want to consider it that, right? People have always believed this stuff. You can like it or hate it, but it's what it is. And I think for a lot of, in a lot of ways, we've just ignored it. So, you know, if you want to get into that, ask me about the satanic panic stuff, because there's something where we know people were buying into this prior to the internet, and um, they still are. Well, I see the director of the film The Love Witch has recently come out pro-Satanic Panics by claiming that she's done the research about that preschool in the US. Was it the St. Martin Preschool? I actually can't, I can't remember the exact name of the preschool. And she claims that actually there really was a Satanic Panic. So, sorry, there wasn't a Satanic Panic going on. There were real Satanists op- operating there. And the ju- judicial system just wasn't able to prove the existence of the cult to the point where they could get guilty verdicts so satanic panics appear to be coming back in style and we have a, we have we have a lot of congressional people in congress congressional candidates um who are pushing on this and we have some potential presidential candidates who are sort of dabbling in the satanic panic stuff and this is the interesting thing you might think that they're doing it just to entice their base because it's mostly republicans doing it but we've just been polling on this. And what we find is that for some items, sure, there's more people on the right than on the left. But for a lot of uh, propositions that we're giving to people about satanic panic, they're even between left and right. This is something that's just out there. And it's been out there for a long, long time. So if you're a politician and you want to look like a tough guy who's going to protect people's kids Say, I'm going to protect him from the sex traffickers and the groomers and the Satanists. And, you know, hey, you're going to look great because nobody likes the sex traffickers and the groomers and the Satanists, right? Um, the only problem is, I mean, the, the, the politicians are overestimating the size of those problems if they even exist, right? I mean, there is some amount of sex trafficking in the U.S., Right, but it's nowhere near the amount that some politicians say it's at. Um, there have been long discussions about what Satanists are up to. I mean, most of the Satanists in this country don't really worship Satan; <laughs> they just try to aggravate Christians um, when Christians try to violate First Amendment freedoms. Um, and there's never really been Satanic cults doing this widespread. Uh, um, ritual satanic abuse, like people claimed, and some people were put in prison for for long terms, and are only finally getting let out because the cases were baloney. So, you know, it's it's the claims that are getting made by people are both false and politically advantageous. And that's a terrible combination. Yes, I think I think there's a lot to be written about the use of conspiracy theory as political rhetoric. Because as many people like to point out, no matter what we think about the presidency of Donald J. Trump, 
His precursor is Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban, who very successfully, with his party, Fidesz, has weaponized conspiracy theories in Hungary as a very successful electoral stratagem. And there's always been discussions about whether Orban really believes the conspiracy theories he spreads, or whether he knows it galvanizes a particular conservative base in Hungary and thus guarantees him continued terms. And so, yeah, the idea that, yes, some people believe these theories, but some people only express them because of a kind of political piety or because they're they're functionally useful in a system, whether or not they actually think they're true, is a kind of confounding factor to when we're, we're looking at the level of belief in these th- theories, or at least the level of reported belief, which I suppose is the operative term there. What we have is reported belief, and we often don't know whether that is sincere belief or whether people are simply saying what they're expected to say. Yeah, I mean, this is what I say to people. Like when reporters call me and they're like, I can't believe 30% of Americans think that Satanists are, you know, uh, doing mass ritual abuse of kids. And I say, well, listen, you and I are living in, in these ivory towers. I'm in the ivory tower, but the reporter's in some big corporate office somewhere with the elites, right? And so am I. Right. We're in academia and we're in the media. These, you know, we're not hanging out with the common folk. But go hang out with regular people. And this is the sort of stuff you're going to hear. I mean, a lot of my family believes in this stuff. They're concerned about the Satanists. They're concerned about Disney grooming their children. You know, they're concerned about the public teachers turning all the kids gay for some political agenda. So these beliefs are out there and they're very prevalent. And, you know, we could say, you know, is that our surveys accurately capturing it? You know, maybe it's overestimating, could be underestimating some of these views, too. We don't fully know, but... um. I would say that that the numbers that we're getting back are something of a starting point. And, and I don't think we should dismiss the idea that some of these views are very widespread and that academics have just dropped the ball by not paying attention, right? Because here's the real danger. Because I have a governor in Florida right now who is going after Disney because he says Disney's grooming kids into into sexualized lifestyles or turning them gay or something like that. We have a congressperson a few districts up from me who's saying almost the same thing. We have conservative thought leaders like Charlie Kirk saying, we need to take away First Amendment rights from all the Satanists. <laughs> like, okay. Um, but these are becoming big topics and they rile people up. And people are taking action on it. And there are laws being passed with based on these ideas with a lot of public support. So, I mean, I, I we could quibble about the survey numbers, but one thing we can't quibble about is, are there politicians willing to act on these beliefs? And the answer is yes. And that's the really scary part is that we're not going into a satanic panic because people's beliefs have changed. It seems like people's beliefs are probably somewhat the same. 
we're going into it because a lot of our political elites have decided that they're going to use that as a mechanism to gain power and they're going to act on it in very deleterious ways and they're going to go after real people right because when they don't find the satanists who are they going to go after i mean we already see it they're going after gay people they're going after trans people so they got to have a scapegoat and this is this is what they're doing now yeah and it's it's worrying because, as many historians will point out, we we kind of saw something like this at the beginning of the last century, around about the same time, where you had groups in Europe scapegoating convenient targets because they couldn't find the actual thing they were arguing against. So they would then, well, you know, maybe it's the gypsies who are responsible. It's still, or it could be the gays or all those those weird transgender people living in Berlin, and you just end up having real people being the targets of unwarranted conspiracy theories. And historically, we've seen where that's be, that's gone in the past. And we have, and nobody wants to learn from it. And that's the problem, right? It's, it's you know, what's shock, most shocking to me is that when I was going through the Roper um, archive of polls that have been done in the U.S. in the past several decades, there was very little on the satanic panic of the 80s. Nobody was polling on it. But it was sort of shocking because the FBI was investigating it. It was getting lots of stories in the mainstream news on national channels. People were going to jail for all sorts of crazy allegations um, that defy the laws of physics. <laughs> I mean, some of the stuff people were getting accused of just doesn't make sense. Um, yet nobody bothered to poll on it. I don't know. I don't know why. Is it because at the time they just accepted that it was going on? And so there's no point polling people's beliefs about about a thing which is going on. We want to poll people on what they suspect is going on. We all know there's, there are Satanists operating in the background. The FBI keep arresting them. I mean, that could be true, and that's the most charitable explanation. Um, and polling was more expensive back then because they weren't doing it the way we do now. Um, so, yeah, there could be a lot of reasons for it, but it's just sort of strange that something that had that was so egregious out there, the people that mainstream media was talking about, oh, there's massive uh, satanic ritual sex abuse. Don't you think we want to know how many people are concerned about it? But they weren't. So I think it could be a, a, a combination of what you're saying and a combination of you know some other structural factors about polling back then. But um, I've got the numbers on my website if anyone wants to go look at it. My most recent poll from, from June show several propositions that we ask about um, the gay agenda, the trans agenda, uh, satanic cults, um, elites in Hollywood and government, sex trafficking kids, how many kids are being sex trafficked. And these beliefs, you know, if you're a politician, they're winners, right? And I'm willing to bet a lot of these people who buy into this stuff are people who vote. <laughs> so... There, I don't want to, to oversell this and say, oh, my God, it's the end of the world. But I want to throw out some yellow flags here and say that the danger isn't so much that people believe this. The danger is that politicians are activating it and trying to act on it with the force of law. Um, and we're seeing that in Florida. 
Yeah, I mean, it. this is this has always been my line. It doesn't really matter what the level of belief in conspiracy theories is. What matters is who is expressing those conspiracy theories. Because one thing you might think is different, say, now than 10 years ago, is that maybe politicians are more openly expressing conspiracy theories in the past. Now, that's an empirical question. I'm a philosopher, so I don't really deal with numbers. It'd be great to have some survey work done to see whether that's actually the case. But certainly the appearance seems to be Politicians are more inclined to openly express conspiracy theories now than they were 10 years ago. Well, the trick would be it wouldn't be a survey that we would need. It would be can we go back and get stable texts of what politicians have been saying uh, for the last however many decades and then pick out the conspiracy theories in some sort of efficient way, right? And, And that would be really tough to do. I'm sure it will be done. Um, because the, the way people are analyzing text at this point is is getting better and increasing um, quite a bit. Um, but the answer is, I think it is, but I just don't know, right? Like we can look at Trump and sure, he used conspiracy theories a lot more than his predecessors, but his predecessors used conspiracy theories at least once in a while, but not a lot. Um, but, but at the same time, I'll tell you this. I'm from New Hampshire, and we have the first primary in the nation there. So I grew up in a state where we met all the president, all the presidential candidates, not just the ones you see on TV or in the debates, but all of them. And there's usually like 50 people running for the nomination on each side. But you don't hear about most of these folks. You know, they're just, you know, people crawling out of the woodwork to run for president, and they they all run in New Hampshire because it's the first primary. Um, No one pays attention to them, but a lot of them espouse conspiracy theories and fringe ideologies and so on, but we don't pay attention, right? And But what's different with this moment than in the past that we're paying more attention. So I get called by journalists all the time and say, oh, there's some guy running for sheriff in Okeechobee, and uh, he's espoused this conspiracy theory. I say, okay, that's not good, but it's probably there's probably lots of sheriff candidates who've been doing this for decades, and no one paid any attention or cared. So there's something specific about our moment that is making us care. So we're watching more and we're seeing more, but that doesn't necessarily mean there is more. Now, there could be, right? Um, but we don't know. We, we don't really know. Now, this all kind of leads me down an interesting track here. Now, you don't really deal with this in the paper, and I don't think anyone's really dealt with this. But when, when and I'm going to say people, and people here as in journalists or other academics, talk about there being too many conspiracy theories, which is what they usually mean by that, is there are too many unwarranted conspiracy theories causing harm in our community. This makes me think of the base rate fallacy. So in critical thinking, we talk about if you talk about increases or decreases over time, you're usually relativizing that to a level you think to be the normal rate that things are meant to be expressed at. And this kind of raises a question as to, is there a kind of natural level of conspiracy theorizing? That is just kind of a generic background noise to human civilization that maybe we're just paying more attention to. 
So the number of conspiracy theories hasn't gone up or gone down. It's just this gen- generic background noise. And yet somehow we've drawn attention to this in a way we, ne- we never have in the past. I think in general, yes. I think it's always there. There doesn't seem to be great evidence that it's gone up or down. So I'll say it's, it's uh, I would say the good news is that amongst the public, things probably aren't getting worse. Um, the bad news is things were probably always this bad. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so there we go. Um, and, but you bring up a really important question about the number of conspiracy theories. There's no way to measure that. Right. So, like as a survey researcher, I can put specific conspiracy theories onto a survey. Like here's this conspiracy theory, that one, that one, that one. Then I can list 50, 100, as many as, as, as I want to do on a survey. But I'm picking them. And there's some process that I go through for deciding which ones to put on a survey. But it doesn't mean that those are the most believed or the right ones or the newest ones, or the most important ones, all it means is I pick them for some set of reasons. Um, There's no real way to know how many conspiracy theories are out there because conspiracy theories are just ideas. So how could I possibly gauge that? If you and I have a conversation right now, we express a few conspiracy theories. Once we turn off the Zencaster, those are gone with the wind. What if we don't ever mention those to anyone again? What if we don't write them down? What if we don't, you know? Um, And this is the thing, is I think your median conspiracy theory dies on the vine overnight. It's only a select handful that get movies made about them, have books written, get news stories about them, get polled on, have an academic study about them, um, get more than a handful of tweets. So I think... People are coming up with stuff all the time, but it's here and gone. And I think it's only some that we sort of uh, coalesce around and study and see because we can observe those ones. But most we don't observe because they're here and gone, right? So it gives us sort of a jaundiced view, right? Say, oh, my God, conspiracy theories are so popular now. Well, sure, but that's only because you're only looking at popular conspiracy theories. <laughs> if you look at the whole range of conspiracy theories, a lot of them are probably convinced three people and that's it. <laughs> and of course, what you might have is a, a kind of weird situation. You can, you can imagine a possible world where every single human being, whenever they see a strange or unusual event in the world, immediately generates a conspiracy theory. But they're also aware that actually People don't like conspiracy theories, so I'm never going to express it. I mean, I keep, every time I see something, I generate a conspiracy theory in my mind. But it's socially unacceptable to mention those conspiracy th- theories. And which point in that world, conspiracy theorizing is, is at a really, really high rate. But because no one ever shares them, it will get reported as a really low rate because of yes. the social conditions around the expression of conspiracy theories. That's yeah. That's one very good way to think about it. Is is what is the actual number versus what's the observed number, right? And first of all, we haven't even solved the observed number yet. Like, if someone said there's a lot of conspiracy theories right now, I'd say, well, how did you count them, and where did you find them, <laughs> right? Um, 
So, and if we were trying to be comprehensive, the answer is, how did you find all this stuff? So, you know, were you peeking into people's brains without them knowing? Were you, you know, finding everyone's innermost thoughts? Um, Or are you limiting it to just the ones that are shared in some way? Well, how did you get that? How did you find that conspiracy theory that was shared at the water cooler? You know, so, so... And this applies to misinformation, too, because everyone's saying, oh, there's so much more misinformation now than in the past. Well, how do you know? How were you able to measure all information prior to the Internet and then measure all information now? You know, so all all people are doing with these claims is just saying, well, I can find misinformation online. Well, so what? <laughs> there's always misinformation. And there was certainly misinformation long before the Internet. And of course, the other issue is once you start going looking for a thing, you tend to find it. So, of course, if a reporter becomes interested in conspiracy theories and spends some time online, they will find a lot of those conspiracy theories. And of course, if you spend several weeks just researching conspiracy theories and you keep finding them online, you may then think, oh, this is a huge problem. Every time I go and look for X, I find more instances of X. But that's an artifact to a certain extent of engaging in a particular research program, looking for a thing, rather than looking at the relative incidence of the thing with all other things taken into account at the same time. I think reporters fell for exactly this when it came to QAnon, because they were going to Trump rallies and you'd have a handful of people wearing Q regalia. And then after a while, reporters started looking for those people. Right. And instead of sort of seeing the proportionality there, oh, there's 10 people amongst 20,000 at this event or something like that. They're saying, oh, these Q supporters are everywhere. And these are all the people I'm talking to. But it was because they were going up and engaging those folks. Right. So then when I tell them, listen, I'm polling on QAnon, but we're not getting these huge numbers you seem to think are out there. And they said, well, people are, are hiding their beliefs from you. On your on polls, I said, "Well, wait a minute. You think on an anonymous computer internet poll, a QAnon supporter is going to hide their belief from me, but they're going to come up to you with painted face and horns and furs and talk all about it for your interview? You know, it doesn't make any sense. So, so there's a juxtaposition there. It was just there was something of a confirmation bias where." Reporters were focusing on this thing, and then once they started focusing on it, it was everywhere because that's where their eyes were going. And, you know, they started thinking there's more and more of it, but that's because their focus was tightening on these things. So so, so that's a, that's a problem, right? And it just sort of tells us, I don't think we should be judging, you know, what the public's views are writ large just by a handful of people who self-select into a Trump rally, right? Even though it's tempting to do because it's, you know, sort of like doom scrolling, but we shouldn't do that. Yes, we made a choice early on in this podcast that we really weren't going to bother with the QAnon conspiracy theory (laughs) because I just saw it as kind of a resurgence of the Iraqi dinar theories, various forms of satanic panics, and... It just didn't seem to be anywhere near as interesting a conspiracy theory as others we've seen. So it was always kind of frustrating that the media really glommed onto it as a major conspiracy theory. But it does seem to have 
largely disappeared. I say largely disappeared. Q appears to have reappeared on 8 Code yeah. now. So it may well come back and it may well be linked to if Trump does decide to run again, Q is probably going to have another run at being the most popular conspiracy theory. But I was interested at the end of the paper, you suggest that actually most novel conspiracy theories actually die quite quickly that they kind of they get expressed and then they they die they die on the vine within a few months. And Josh and I went through a list of the topics that we covered back in mid 2014 to mid 2015 and we were surprised by how many theories we talked about then that we have no memory of now. So one example was uh, <laughs> Bo Bergdahl, who I think was the congressman who accused his opponent of being a robot, or maybe Bo Bergdahl <laughs> was the person who was accused of being a robot by another congressman. And we're going, I, we, don't, we don't have any memory of, so, of all these theories which were newsworthy back in 2014 and 2015. And even as some, someone who spends their entire time researching conspiracy theories, I'm going, yep, no, that, 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 I've got no memory of this whatsoever. That's right. We glom on to the ones that are sort of enduring, right? They're still in the news. They're still somewhat relevant. And we forget these little ones that sort of are here and gone and, 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 you know, it, so if we're only focusing on the ones that we're still interested in, then we've got a very biased view, right? We're sort of not accounting for all the ones that convince some people and then no one's convinced anymore. No one, or at least no one cares. Right. But that sort of, that undermines the hypothesis that belief is increasing. Right. You know, so you can't, I mean, what some critics of the study have done is say, well, some of your conspiracy theories are old, so we, wouldn't we expect them to go down? And I say, well, not if the hypothesis is that these ideas are spreading everywhere and convincing everyone, right? You can't have it both ways. <laughs> um, so if it is indeed the case that old conspiracy theories sort of die off, then that works against the hypothesis that they're increasing across the board. But at the same time, I mean, Kennedy was 1963. Bilderberger goes back hundreds of years. I mean, moon landing is decades and decades old. So there's a lot of ones that are old that are sort of flat or might increase a little bit or, or you know, whatever. Um, so age isn't necessarily determinant of how many people buy in. But it is true, just as you say, that you know, I can look back at all sorts of conspiracy theories that I've seen in one place or another, and it's like no one knows about this or cares about this anymore. And that's probably a lot more than the category of people know about and care about this. Yeah, I was fascinated. In study two, you find that Holocaust denial seems to be going up in Sweden. Uh, do you have any idea as to why Holocaust denial is going up in Sweden? Because that, that seemed like a, to, a, ter a that seemed like a terrible result to 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 find. Well, the good news is it's probably some amount of sampling error because it it went from like two percent to three percent. So um, if you if you want to have a glass half empty, you could say a fifty percent increase in anti semitism, but the glass half full says there's really bare, it's statistically significant but uh, substantively meaningless. 
And the other thing which I found interesting, and this is probably a more substantive point. So in study three, you go, well, look, it actually does look as if actually belief in conspiracy theories is kind of going down across the board. But what is interesting is that relatively speaking, even as it's going down, there's been an increase in suspicion about politicians on both sides of the political divide. Well, it seems to be less suspicion about trade unions and the like. So social activity, we're not so concerned about, but politicians, we really, even if we don't think they're conspiring as much, we still think that they're conspiring more than the other groups that have been looked at. Yeah, so we asked this question where we give people a list of groups, like unions, communists, capitalists, Republicans, Democrats, uh, and say, which of these groups do you think are working against us in secret? And the total number of groups that people have been picking is, is just about stable over the last decade, so it hasn't really gone up. Um, but you, you can see when you look at the results that across different survey waves sometimes it goes up sometimes it goes down for the individual groups so there are going to be some groups that attract more attention at some times than others that are going to attract more uh i guess we'll call conspiratorial ire um than others so to me it's just a different way of trying to see Maybe it's not the idea that people are believing specific conspiracy theories more, but maybe they're just more concerned about particular groups conspiring against them, right? But again, we don't find strong evidence of it. The effect you seem to be talking about is something where, you know, Republicans and Democrats don't really like each other that much in the U.S. So there is something to be said about polarization. It's not just, I disagree with them on some issues. It's, they're out to get us. Um, and that's not good, um, but that's probably been going on for um, for longer than I've been polling. Yeah, so that might be an intersection of interest in politics, oppositional politics, and also the culture war, which has been come into political talk. So you get this kind of idealized talk. And when you talk about idealized talk academically, we're saying, look, this isn't historically true, but ideally, this is how we'd like things to be. That in the old days, when politicians disagreed, they go, well, look, I think that Joe's a dirty libertarian, but we, you know, we get on well outside of the house. But on this matter, I have to fiercely disagree with Joe's economic policies. And you say, and that in the 1960s, that's how people talk. But now it's a case of Joe's a dirty libertarian. He's always he's the most dastardly person I've ever seen. I have to oppose his new bill to give Medicare to veterans because of his dastardly and. The worry there is actually what's driving the polarization there is actually a culture war between two sides rather than actual political disagreement. You're going to have to be very careful how you edit this interview because you got some pretty dark claims about me. So I'll cop to the uh, dirty libertarian part. <laughs> the rest of it is fantabulous, but you're, that's dead on because look at the claims people are making now. It's not that, oh, Disney disagreed with me. It's Disney's grooming children. It's not that, oh, we don't like this topic being taught in classes, that teachers are sexualizing six-year-olds. Um, 
it's not that uh, you know these politicians are doing the wrong thing. They're they're soft on pedophilia, right? So so the claims that are out there are just getting sort of really nasty. And I think when I was younger, and again, it, it just could be because the media wasn't paying attention or maybe people like me weren't paying attention, but I just didn't hear a lot about this in the 1980s. It wasn't like they were saying, oh, Reagan's a, you know, a satanic child eater or something. You didn't hear that, right? If the people were attacking Reagan, it was because of his ideology or his particular policies or whatnot, which is fine. Um, but it wasn't stooping to this sort of level where, you know, you're going to bring a Supreme Court justice up, question her in the Senate, and then suggest that she's somehow in favor of pedophilia. <laughs> I mean, this is insane. But this is this is what our political elites are doing. And they should be shamed for it. I mean, this is disgusting. So... Um, that's to me, if we're going to say something, there's something unique about this moment. It's what our leaders are doing and they should be forever shamed. Right. And, and there's a lot of it to go around. So. Oh yes, and it's not just an American phenomenon. We see it in Australia. We see it in yeah. the United Kingdom. We're beginning to see elements of it in Aotearoa, New Zealand as well. It's it's a it's a problem across the board. Now I've got one final question that I want I want to ask, which is about the time slices. So in the paper, you talk about one of the issues about this kind of polling about the prevalence of conspiracy theories is that it's never entirely clear what kind of temporal slice people are interested in. So are they talking about a change in belief over six months, a year? Yeah. 10 years or a few decades because of course your expectation for the rate of change is really going to change your conversation about exactly what's going on in the so-called conspiracy you know so we put the paper out and i've seen criticisms on twitter and they're like for study four he only looked at a 10-year time frame and it's sort of like, well, that's a hundred thousand dollars worth of surveys that we provide for this time frame. What else do you want? I mean, you know this as well as I do. I mean, the empirical study of conspiracy theories really started about maybe fifteen years ago. So there haven't been that much polling going on, certainly not national polling. And we've gone back as far as we can go, given what the data allows. And if people don't like it, that's too bad. But most academic studies are like, hey, we've tracked this uh, particular opinion from uh, 1300 until now. It's like, no, that doesn't happen, right? So 10 years is pretty darn good. Doesn't explain everything. I can't make, I'm not going to make claims about the 50s, the 60s, or the 1800s, right? But what I can say is, is that a period when journalists are overwhelmingly saying it's going up, 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 up that we're not finding it during this period, right? So we got to pull those claims back. So if there were increases, they happened prior at some point um, or in some way that hasn't has yet to be measured or disclosed. Um, but we've gone back as far as we can. And so for some of the specific conspiracy beliefs, we've gone back 60 years. So... Um, we've done the best we can with what's available 
to us. And unfortunately, we're just limited by the fact that in the range of human history, polling is relatively new. And um, you can only get what you get. <laughs> I also have to assume polling is one of those, because it's a, a new science, the polls we do now are quite different from the polls we did in the past. So actually, even comparing poll results must require a lot of work. To some extent, because here's the thing, polls always have problems, right? Because if you're doing them by phone, a lot of people are hanging up. <laughs> so you're getting a non-response bias. now. We're doing them as opt-in, but now there's potentially biases that come with that. So there are all sorts of little things that pollsters try to do to try to um, make sure their data is as high quality and as representative as possible. Um, but at the end of the day, there's no perfect way to do this. Yes, and unfortunately, it's a field in which there probably is never going to be any perfect way to measure exactly what's going on here. But when it comes to imperfect measurement and making warranted inferences, you do seem to be doing the right kind of work. <laughs> I'm really good at Im imperfect. <laughs> I mean, frankly, as academics, aren't we all? <laughs> Thank you, Joe. That has been, once again, a fascinating conversation about the state of play for whether there are as many conspiracy theories out there as people like to think. Hopefully, we'll be talking again soon, and hopefully not once your disgraced former professor of political science from the University <laughs> of Miami. Hopefully, it's going to be, you know, distinguished professor or professor emeritus. Although, I suppose, I suppose Professor Emeritus is probably several decades away, and we'll talk yeah, before then. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. There's been a great great conversation as ever. Thank you. The podcast's Guide to the Conspiracy stars Josh Addison and myself, Associate Professor M.R.X. Denter. Our show's conspiracy producers are Tom and Philip, plus another mysterious anonymous donor. You can contact Josh and myself at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com and please do consider joining our Patreon. And remember, the truth is out there, but not quite where you think you left it. <laughs>